Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about Church at the Well, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. And now, here's today's sermon from our pastor, Dane Carraway. Pilate probably wasn't the first gospel to be written. It shows up first in the New Testament. Mark was probably the first written, but Matthew comes first in the New Testament. And and I feel it's appropriate because like the title of our series, this book is a bridge. You know, in a couple different ways. Well, first, it's it's a bridge because it's the first in the New Testament. It takes us right from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Um, It's a, a, you know, it it actually represents probably the most Jewish of the Gospels. Most traditional, it lends really, uh, uh, you know, leans um, into like a lot of the prophecies and even to the the whole idea of why we were calling this um, the bridge. This is gospel's linked um, way into Jewish tradition than the other two. And the theme of Matthew, Matthew is the bridge because it represents the bridge between the promise and the fulfillment of what God was trying to do with humanity. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you look through Matthew, I'm sorry, if you look through the Old Testament, God's making promises. God is telling people to look forward to the coming Messiah. God's looking forward to, like, how he's going to redeem his people. And then Matthew was our first instance of getting to see that play out. You know what I mean? Like, it it represents, like, this is is what God said he was going to do, and we're all hinging on the promise of this he's actually going to do it. Imagine if you would have lived during the Old Testament time period, and even in the time period of when Jesus was on earth, you were looking forward to the promise. You and I were living after that promise was, has been fulfilled. Yes, Christ is still fulfilling it, and like he's going to raise us up in the last days and, you know, uh, uh, um, you know in, in the ascension, like all of that, like sure, fine, book of Revelations. We're still living in that time period. But from the initial promise that, uh, that God made, that how he was going to redeem his people, sending his son to the arrival of Jesus— they're living on top of that bridge. They're living between the promise of what God said he was going to do to the fulfillment in Christ himself. So that's why we're calling this the bridge. Um, this book is about God making a promise and fulfilling the promise. Matthew is trying to connect the dots for our understanding and, and build a bridge to the promise uh, made in the Old Testament to the fulfillment of the promise by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We get a great look right at the beginning of the book of what this bridge of the, of the promise of fulfillment looks like in the first chapter with the genealogy. That's right. We're about to read through the genealogy. I remember some of y'all were wondering, like, how cool of a pastor is Dane? Is, is he going to skip the genealogy? Because that would be rough. I know it's been a rough morning already, but here we go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Yeah, baby. We're going to get it. All right? Um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It should be on the screens. There it is. Boom. Nice and beautiful. Um, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, 
Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father, uh, the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father uh, of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of uh, Abihud, or Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Yes, yes. Great. The band can play while commercials and, and, and Spider-Man in the background, I can read through the genealogy. I can struggle through the genealogy. Um, so I want you to see this real quick before, before we go to the next slide. Um, actually, go back to the very first uh, part of it, Jen. Um, the gospel starts with a statement that reports, uh, points directly to the bridge concept, right? It says, this is the genealogy. I have it in front of me. I don't know why I feel the need to turn around. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the, uh, I'm, I'm, wait, wait, go. So, so Jesus, David, and Abraham, right? Like we see right there, this bridge concept. And the idea of genealogy, if you were to look at the Greek, it actually is the word, like same word for, that we, they would use for Genesis. This is the beginning. So you actually hear like this, like the, it tells the story, not just of the Bible, but of history right here in these first couple of words. This is how it started. So if Adam's at the beginning, shortly thereafter comes who? Abraham. Then shortly, then not shortly, but after Abraham, we get this picture of another promise that was given to David. And through David was promised to come the Savior, being Jesus. Like, like the, this is this, like, you know, the whole concept of, like, the same promise that where God showed up and said what he was going to do to Abraham is passed down to David. And then the fulfillment of that comes through to Jesus, which, you know, we benefit from here today. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, followed by a detailed genealogy of 41 generations. For as long as I can remember when I would come to, to Matthew uh, in my Bible reading, I just felt like I can skip this. Like, I just read the whole Old Testament. That's why I'm in Matthew in the first place. I, can, I don't need to go through this. But actually, Matthew and his readers would have considered this announcement of these names the most exciting news of all time. Can I give you like just five quick reasons? This isn't the bulk of the message, but just five quick things why the genealogy deserves your attention. First is because it summarizes the story of the Bible. Like it just summarizes it. Like quick, like boom, let me hit you with the points. Let me show you like if, if you read the Bible from, from cover to cover, let me summarize all the, all the plot of what you just got here. Listen, um, I have a rocky relationship with Harry Potter, not because of any like spiritual witchcraft reasons. They killed my favorite character at one point. Okay, and, and I'm stuck. I don't want to like give it away if you haven't read it and you're looking forward to reading it, but I'm stuck between two books because my favorite character is dead. And only because Ian and um, Christina's daughter, uh, Sibby, told me that I should keep reading, I'm considering picking it back up. That's it. 
because I was done. I was like, it can't get it. Like, I can't deal with this. Like, the trauma that happened here, you know, it's there. But like, so I don't know if this happens, but I haven't seen a point in the stories like, hey, quick, like, before you keep reading, here's a summary. Before, like, before the story gets better, let me tell you what got you to this point. So everything that happened, I don't know which book I'm on. Everything that happened in the first, like, five books, let me summarize it so you know where you're at in the story before we keep going. That, that's what happens in these first couple of uh, uh, these verses in the genealogy. It summarizes the story of the Bible. Um, the, uh, number two, the uh, genealogy reminds us that it's a true story. It reminds us that, like, these are real people with real situations. I don't know about you, but sometimes, like, when we think about, like, like someone asked me today, is like, hey, Dan, I, it's not that I disrespect your job. It's not that I disrespect the folks that come to your church and spend time on Sundays doing this. But it seems like this is really just not relatable. We don't deal with these real-life situations. Like, this was thousands of years ago. It doesn't play into today. Oh, really? Because the more I look at God's Word, the more I see that things haven't changed. The more that things change, what? The more they what? They say the same. Are you really able to read through some of these stories and instances in the Old Testament and say that, yeah, that's not relevant? Oh, really? Because I relate to Joshua a lot right now. Like, hey, God, there's a big old walled city right there. Hey, um, hey, um, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Yeah, like that relates to my life. And we could go on and on and on where, where we're, like these real people go through real circumstances and serve a real God. I, I, I think that, you know, it deserves our attention because, you know, it, it reminds us that it's a true story. Matthew's genealogy, number three, um, highlights that Jesus is Family is inclusive. It's really inclusive. Have you just noticed, like, I want you to think about Jewish tradition. And if you were trying to impress upon people, if you were trying to make a book relatable, if you were trying to, you know, appease an audience. You know, people do this now. Like, when you're, if you were to write, like, a, like a, a story right now, they're like, we need to make stories that look like the people that are going to read it. That's the only reason they're going to be interested in doing it. And this is, this is great, by the way. I love being able to go to a bookstore and get my daughter a book with somebody that looks like her. It's, it's important. But if you were trying to do this, wouldn't you, like, just like, you know, like, what's, what book's going to matter? Well, for a tradition, it wouldn't make sense to include women in, in, in prominent positions like this. Are there women in a genealogy? You better believe there are. Is everybody perfect in the genealogy? Like, every, like, so, like, nobody has any sin. Nobody's done anything wrong. No, like, it's everyone has. Matter of fact, the only peop, a person who's perfect at the very first verse, Jesus the Messiah, David, and Abraham, is Jesus himself. Abraham and David both had issues, big issues. Jesus' family is inclusive. You know what else? Um, Jesus' family does not just include... Jewish descent. You ever think about that? That how like we, we knew that like, you know, that like through the, through the tribe of David would come the savior of the world through like through the Jewish line would, would come like would come Jesus. Jesus had Gentiles in his family line. We're going to read about one here, uh, here. We're talking about one here in a second. Like even in G Jesus coming from a, a you know, a, a Jewish family, there were people from around the world in his lineage. Oh, is this just a mistake or 
is, is Jesus looking through, um, looking down through history at you and I and saying like, if I want this to be something that blesses the whole world, if I have the intention of redeeming all of mankind, it's important that all of mankind is in my lineage. I hope you can see that. I hope that that, that resonates uh, with you as we look at these first uh, few verses. Uh, the genealogy shows us that God is faithful, that God works through it. I'm excited when we get to Luke, we're actually going to compare the two, um, the two genealogies and, and show how God worked it and how God orchestrated from the beginning to be able to show us that he's not just Lord, but he's also Savior and how he can properly hold both titles when we look at the genealogies. Um, Matthew's genealogy also displays Jesus as our only hope, that it had to be Jesus, that there's no other way that, like, that, uh, that, um, that Jesus would have come through unless he was the, uh, uh, he, he is our only hope and he's the only one who could fit this title. Hopefully we can look deeper into these lists of names and understand this represents the fulfillment of a promise. Let me uh, ask you a question. What's the best promise that's ever been promised to you? Can you point to that? I mean, like, how was it given to you? Did you ask for something and the affirming response came with a, a promise to fulfill your request? Was the promise based off of something you wanted or needed? Or was it based on the desire of the promiser? Have you ever received a promise that when it was fulfilled, it was life-changing? What I want to, like, you know, for the, for the rest of our time, talk about is some truths about promises and fulfillments. Number one is this. Promises are fulfilled on our timeline. You know? At least ones that matter. Like, like this is, if, if you were to be in the house and, and, and look into the, today's episode of Camilla Grace and her dad, you know, there's lots of talks of promises in our house. And sometimes, in, in her mind, I don't even have to make the promise for her to feel like I made a promise. Like, she could just have imagined it. Daddy, can I have ice cream before dinner? No. But you promised. I did no such thing. I live with your mother, and I want her to like me. I, I made no such promise. You know? But, like, like it's, it's not based, like, you know, when we think about, like, the promises that uh, either a significant other has made or, or the people around us, like, a lot of times we, we want to set a time of day. Are we even having the back of our minds of, of how it's going to be fulfilled and on what timeline it's going to be fulfilled? Like, you're going to promise to do something for me, drop dead date at this time period. And I want us to see, like, when we serve a God who lives outside of time, right? Like, God created time. You ever think about it like this? Like, what we think about days and nights and the structure of time and, and how the world works and what the timeline that we all spend on, like, today's Sunday and what we do on Sunday and then what we do on Monday. God lives outside of that. So when we think about God and the promises that he makes for us and he makes to us, we have to remember that we are, we are being promised and we are dealing with the promiser who lives outside of our time constraints. Oh, we have to think about time. If, if me and Anna want to make a, a dinner date with, with Mike and Robin, it's important that we set a date. It's important that we do that. Yeah, God works outside of dates and times. And so often, like, we think about these things, and, like, you know, God promised he would do something, and he's not faithful because he has not done it yet. He has not redeemed me yet. He has not fixed this yet. He hasn't done these things. And it's hard for us because we think like, you know, fulfillment has to happen within a certain period of time. It has to. Every adult in here, you have bills 
and you're promising to pay something by a, <laughs> by a date. Like, it has to work. Like, your, your promise to pay has to happen by this time period. Shout out to everybody with the school, the school loans, and you have to keep deferring them because you're like, I'll promise to pay that sometime, you know? But even in that deferring, you're saying, like, I'm going to get to it. There's a promise there. We deal with the God, and sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's, it's not the easiest thing to deal with. Who works outside of that? It's outside of those time constraints. Promises aren't fulfilled on our timeline. Can I just point you to, like, the, the first couple of verses. Um, so we read that this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. We're going to come back to that. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of King David, who was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. The genealogy introduces Jesus as the son of, of Abraham and a son of David, meaning he is in the lineage of the two of the most significant figures in all, all of biblical history. Can, let's just take a quick look at those two guys. Abraham first. So in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God makes a promise to Abraham, right? You guys know your story? It says, this is what it says in that, in, that, uh, in that passage. The Lord has said to Abram, it was Abram at that point, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the promise God made through Abraham. Abraham was an old guy with no kid at the time. This is when God is promising him this. This is like, he's like, hey, circumstantially, and for my, I've never seen somebody as old as I am and as old as my wife is. We're way too old to be having, start having, you know, like to start having kids. God, I fear you. I trust in you. But as far as I'm limited, this time period doesn't make sense. But promises aren't based on our timeline. They're like, like, like. Abraham couldn't see that God works outside science. God works outside of these circumstances in a way. He uses science too. Don't let, I don't want to get fought by any of the science teachers here. He uses science, but he also can work outside of science. He does things that are supernatural. Like he, um, in this situation, he's saying, despite your doubts and despite the limitations of how crazy you would be, not only are you going to have a kid, but I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to take you from having nothing into making you like, like into a great nation that's going to point back to you at this moment in your faithfulness. Abraham had a hard time believing God, right? Abraham went and had a kid with one of his wife's servants. And even in spite of his unfaithfulness and his unbelief in God's promises, God still blessed him. And he was made into a great nation. Um, God called Abraham to leave his homeland and even with the command, he made a covenant with Abraham, promising to make him to a great nation. And it's through the salvation available to Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection that all nations would be blessed. God's kept his promise. Now, Abraham wasn't going to be alive to see this. Let me ask you a question. Is a promise a promise, like only a promise if you're able to see the end of it? Is a promise a promise only if you're able to see the, 
like the, the fulfillment of it. I mean, like, like I remember um, uh, when my dad passed, we had several people at the funeral saying like, hey, um, I always promised to your dad that if, uh, if he wasn't going to be here anymore, that I would look after your family, that I would, I would check in with you guys, that I would, I would be here with you. Well, like, that's a promise that lives on, like, past the time that you would have to keep that promise. And not that we ever, like, you know, I appreciated those things and we didn't necessarily need it, like, when people made those promises to us. But in, 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 um, as it pertains to God making promises towards us, especially with eternal significance, oh, yeah, it, it lasts longer and, and probably should last longer than our own, our, our, own, um, our own lifespans here on earth. I hope that God's promise of salvation to me lasts longer than I am here on earth because it's secured in the afterlife. Does that make sense? I, I hope that it, it, it lasts longer than my own time here. Uh, then there's David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11 through 16. Uh, this is the Lord speaking uh, to Samuel. He says, uh, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. He's saying, this is what I want you to go and tell David. When your days are over, you will rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Who's the his here? Jesus. He is the only one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne. I'm sorry. Talking about David, uh, and I will establish the throne of his forever. I will build. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So 1,200 years after Abraham, when Israel was established in the land, God made a covenant with David. Similar, right? And here's what's so interesting about about this promise. Not only did God promise that he would take care of David and and what he would do with his kingdom and and, and it would establish it forever, he even predicted that David was going to mess up. That's mind-boggling. He's like, I'm promising you that I'm going to make you into this great kingdom. You're going to be King David. You're going to sit on the throne and you're going to love me and, and all this stuff. But I'm also promising that you're going to make it, you're going to mess up. And even after messed up, I'm going to establish you. Like, this is the God who exists outside of our own timelines. Because a lot of us, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. Have you ever been in a place where, like, you're like, sure, God keeps his promises, but God only keeps his promises to people and to folks who don't mess up. God's only going to keep my promise as long as I'm faithful. Man, I, like that thing that I used to do that I left behind me when I started following Jesus, I just did it again last week. So that means that the, the promises of God don't apply to me right now. Like, like I, 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 I'm not, like, I, I missed out on these things because... You know, my faithfulness has, has, has uh, made me subsequent to God's, you know, withholding uh, of, of his promises towards me. Yeah, you should pursue righteousness. And, and what the Bible promises that when we have an honest pursuit of righteousness, we can expect God's blessings. That we, should, we can expect God's blessing when we're our closest to him. We could, we could see his face and we can feel his closeness. But when it comes to eternal significance and promises... Yeah, I mean, like, like what the New Testament tells us, and this is one of the things we get into, that, that we are secured. If you are someone, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, 
Yeah, our timelines aren't matched with his. Confess, with your, confess your sins to the Lord that you may be healed. Continue to pursue God with your best. But it's, we exist outside of God's, outside of, um, we, we don't exist. God exists outside of our, time, our timelines and our time frames. I point these things out because I don't know if we've ever found ourselves really relating to Abraham or David, but I know that sometimes unless promises are immediate, intangible, I sometimes struggle with finding its significance. Unless I can see it. Unless I know when it's going to be fulfilled. This is definitely true with the promise of our salvation. If we approach our eternal life like it doesn't start until after we die in this life, then we probably struggle with its significance. I mean, this is like the the case old kind of like, you know, summer camp or youth conference type of invitation. Hey, kids, do you want to go to hell? Oh, you don't want to go to hell? You better come get your fire insurance. You better come get saved right now. Walk down to the front, raise your hand so you don't end up going to hell. When we position it like that, there's no reason for somebody to think about eternal life until after death. Then we all just need to be like hanging out in like, like old folks' homes or hospitals and just see like, how much time does that person got left? Two more days? Okay, well, like, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll put that on snooze. Let's go get over here to Mr. Uh, to Mr. Robinson because Mr. Robinson's going to go any time now. Then we should all just live our lives. Or salvation and abundant life starts at the moment of our salvation. Why would I think about life after death until I'm living now, when I'm living now? No, your eternal abundant life starts the day you made a decision to follow Jesus. David and Abraham's promise wouldn't be fulfilled until long after they were gone. And in some ways, it's still playing out. So for you and I, when it comes to our asking and our praying, especially when we are praying God's promises back to him, we must remember that our timeline is not the same as God's. We don't, we don't exist on the same timeline. Uh, time but Dane, God promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And if you knew what I was going through, you would know that God's not here in this. Yeah, I, I, I'm, listen, I, I'm sure that it feels that way. I've gone through that. But if you were to ask Abraham, or if you were to ask David the same question, he would say, sometimes God delays so you know it's him working. I mean, can you just imagine Abraham? Like, like to believe in the promise and to, and to like trust in the promise that God would make him to a great nation. Yeah, Abraham could have, God could have been like, Abraham, you're 20, here's Isaac, you know, and then they multiply. And Abraham looks and says, you know what? I made myself into a great nation. Look what I've done. Look at the great work that Abraham has done. I've built this great family. I know families like that to where they're like, they, like, they have such a big, awesome family. And like, the no people their family are like, man, we've done a great job. They should write us like in like the U.S. like halls of Hall of Fame because look at this great family that I've built. God's like, you know what? I'm going to wait till the point where you absolutely know that you know that you know that you know. And this is me. This is outside of your time frame. And even David, like, you look through the Psalms and Proverbs and hear this misery and grief that God would still include somebody who messed up to the point of David and, and say, like, this is a man after my own heart. Oh, yeah, it's not based off of David. Yeah, this is based off of God's promise to use him. 
They would say that sometimes God delayed so, we know we, so that we know it's him working in a way that only he can. His timeline is better than ours. Part of a, a, a being a mature Christian is understanding that God's timeline is better than ours. God's promises aren't fulfilled in our own timeline. But also, promises aren't dependent on our past or our ability to be perfect. Have you ever thought to yourself that I've messed up too much for God to keep loving me? I, I, I'm, you know, like we looked at that passage in, in 2 Samuel with, um, uh, it talks about David and says that, he, uh, what God said, he's like, I will punish him and a rod uh, uh, wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. I just wonder, like Samuel's thinking about it, it's like, are we talking about the same David? talk about the dude that like with the harp like you know that this dude like kills bears and stuff right like like what possibly this is like this cute little kid like there's 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 no reason to like you're gonna have to like like punish him there's also another name in here that that could give testimony in god's promises not being dependent on our ability to be perfect matthew uh, 1 5 says salmon the father of boaz or salmon i don't know how we should pronounce his name um, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You guys ever heard of this, this woman named Rahab? Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. It's a cute little kid song. Um, Rahab lived there, and she didn't just live there. She was a prostitute in Jericho. Jericho was a depraved city, probably just like the city of Corinth. Like, you know, it had lots of things going on. And Rahab would be the house that when Joshua sent spies into the city to kind of lay out the land and see what was happening, this is where they stopped. This is where they hid out. And Rahab, after talking to these spies, made a decision. She was like, listen, I, um, we've, everybody in the city knows about you guys. You know why we know about you guys? Because we heard about what happened in Egypt about 40 years prior. And I'm switching sides. Like, like I, I've looked at what we've got, and I see like the, like the depravity of our city, and I know that whoever the God is behind who's helping you guys do what you're doing, that's the team I want to be on. Listen, um, uh, uh, listen to this passage. This is Joshua chapter 2, verse uh, uh, 8 through 11. It says, uh, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, this is Rahab talking to the spies sent by Joshua, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. Talk about the people of Jericho. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shehan and to Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. That's what she says here. She says, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, in, uh, is God of heaven above and on earth below. This is a woman who did not grow up in Judaism, had not understood about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, had not understood who this is, did not know about the great nations and the promises that was given to those guys. She just knew, she looked at what they had going on and what they had going on says, yeah, the God that you guys serve, the Lord that you guys serve, I want to be a part of that. That's the team I want to be on. That's what I'm putting my faith in. That's what I'm hedging my bets in. I know what's going on here and there's nothing significant of happening over here. I want to go and be a part of whatever your God is doing. That's that, that's what I want to be a part of. That's, that's where I'm hedging my bet on. That's where I, 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 me and my family, that's our significance. 
Um, I, 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 I just can't help but like, you know, feel like, man, there must have been a tension here. You think about like there's this, you know, there's this king who's asking her saying, hey, Rahab, um, we know that some spies came to your house. Go ahead and bring them out. She's like, oh, sorry, king. They left last night. They snuck out. But if you guys send people right now, you probably can, uh, can catch them. You probably go get them. And she has them hiding up on the roof. Not only was Rahab and her family spared, but she becomes like one of the, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know which, how many greats, but she becomes like one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus. And her name is mentioned not just here, but in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, we call it the Hall of Faith with all the names of people who had great faith. Her name's mentioned there. You know whose name's not mentioned there? The name, the guy who's, uh, uh, the name of the book that her name appears in, Joshua's not mentioned there, but Rahab is. This woman, former prostitute, becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus. I, I don't know if, like, like, if we ever go to this far, but I think, like, you know, when it comes to the promises of God and, and what he promises to those who believe in him, a lot of times we can disqualify ourselves without any of God's help. A lot of times we could say, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that, that good yet. I was talking to somebody about serving in our church uh, not too long ago, and they were saying, really? Like, do we have to have the awkward meeting about, like, I tell you all the things that I've done in the past to see if I'm disqualified for serving? You know, no, we don't. Do you need to have that with God? I'm sure. Yeah. Confess your sins so we can be healed. The best for you and your salvation, not for, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this yet, but we're a church of, unperf- of imperfect people. Your pastor is very imperfect. If you want references, my wife is working in kids ministry this morning. She will take you out to lunch. You maybe need lunch and dinner. I'm very imperfect. But I think that, you know, for the sake of, if you just need like an invitation, if you just need like a, like an onboarding into not, not our church, but into like, like into just believing and trusting in this and maybe just like lets a burden off. Man, there's never been a perfect clause in being a follower of Jesus. I think like for, for a lot of times, like, this, like, I love these points of salvation. By the way, Rahab, the first conversion we see in the Bible. First one, and it's a woman who is working as a prostitute, working in this like city just full of sin and says, I know what my life is like and what's best for me and my family is to be a part of what your God is doing because I've seen what he's done. When you pull down salvation, is that not it? Yes, Jesus. Yes, the cross. But like, is that not what heart, like, you know, heart changes? Is that not what salvation is? Is that not what, like, you know, what, what, what true repentance is? Based off what God is able to do, based on what God has done, I'd rather be a part of his movement than my own. That's what I'd rather be a part of. Our, our, our promises aren't dependent on our ability to be perfect. I think, like, through Christ... Through our relationship with him, he makes us like him. Not because we can be perfect for so everybody else could think that we're perfect. No, because he knows that the more of us that we have, in, the more of him that we have in us, the better that we are. That's where more peace is found. That's where more uh, a joy is found. Promises aren't dependent on our ability to be perfect. Um, we serve the promiser who is perfect in grace and mercy. 
through God's grace and his mercy, God is perfect. I, I just, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. And I was thinking about like, you know, we had so many folks coming to the table and towards the end of the day, um, me, Sarah and Jen were there and I was talking to this lady, like her, um, I, 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 there was two, there was three ladies. Two of them were so happy to talk to us and were interested in what we're doing in our church. And I tried to hand a third, a, a flyer and man, like you could just tell like there was just like tension. She was like, no, I don't want that. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And as we just got to talking, you know, I could just tell that there had been something happened in life, right? We talk about church hurt, we talk about church trauma, and I believe that these things are real. Because through our conversation, I could just tell that, like, this, this woman had been told that because of something about her, she was disqualified from relationship with Jesus. Not serving in ministry, not coming to church, but since she wasn't perfect, God wanted nothing to do with her. The reason why we look at these first verse, these first, I don't know how many ever verses that there are with the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew, because there's a list of people there that aren't perfect. And what I hope that does for, for, for all of us is recognize that God fulfills his promises. And he fulfills his promises not just like not based on our timeline and not based off of our circumstances. That like, despite of who, you know, despite of all the different people and all the different mess ups and in humans just doing what humans do and that's mess up. Yeah. The, the God of the universe is able and, and is willing and is so willing and, and it's like, it's his desire to freely give out mercy and grace to all those who would accept it. Like that's the bridge that God wants to build from himself to us. God builds the bridge inviting folks from the other side to come towards him. That's the promises that's kind of laid out in the lives of the folks in that list. His hope, his mercy towards us. Amen? Would you pray with me? You just listened to a message from Dane Carraway, the pastor of Church at the Well in Towson, Maryland. To learn more about our church and to support what we're doing in the greater Baltimore area, visit our website, thewellbaltimore.com. Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Church at the Well. May God bless you.